Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. They're incredible sheets. They're incredible bed sheets that were inspired by NASA. They use silver-infused fabrics and make temperature-regulating bedding so you can sleep at the perfect temperature. And let me tell you a little something about myself. When I first moved to New York City, I essentially went to a corner bodega, bought a set of sheets that were made out of what felt like cardboard, and that's what I slept on for like years. I thought, I guess I thought I just wasn't even worth more or like, I just didn't even know that comfort was possible. And then I started like actually realizing like, oh, I don't have to live like this and buying actual sheets that made sense. And truly the temperature regulating property of these NASA inspired sheets by Miracle Made are like the apotheosis of adult living. Like you can live with comfort, with temperature regulating. The funny thing is I thought temperature regulating was just like something you had to just deal with your whole life. That There was no sheet that could help you with that. Your body just went through wild temperatures and that just, you know, sucked and you had to just deal with it. But you don't have to deal with it because you can get miracle made sheets. They're self-cooling for better sleep. They're also, this one's really fun and it's actually really important for my husband, they're self-cleaning because they're infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth, leaving them cleaner and fresher three times longer than other sheets. And because of that, it's designed for your skin. So it stops the bacteria so it doesn't clog your pores and it doesn't cause as much, you know, breakouts and acne, which is a big problem for my husband. Since we started using Miracle Made, my husband has just had way less of the breakouts and the clogged pores. And like I said, they're just like, luxurious. Um, They're designed for a person who's graduating from the cardboard sheets of their youth. (laughs) Graduate from those, you guys. So go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's T-R-Y, trymiracle, M-I-R-A-C-L-E dot com slash fake the nation. And at the checkout, use the promo code fake the nation and you'll get three free towels and you'll save an extra 20%. And Miracle's so confident in their product that it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you're going to get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fakethenation and use the code fakethenation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fakethenation to treat yourself. And thanks so much to Miracle Made for sponsoring this episode. And thanks so much to Miracle Made for regulating my body temperature at night uh, with the sheets. I really love them. Ever wonder what your life would be like if you took a different path? Are you doing today what you envisioned you'd be doing 10 years ago? This holiday season, GH Mom Champagne has partnered with Vice to bring you personal stories of courage, belief in your dreams, and the determination to make those dreams a reality. So pop open a bottle of GH Mom Grand Cordon, get inspired, and celebrate your next victory. Visit ghmumvictory.com to see all 10 stories. That's G-H-M-U-M-M-V-I-C-T-O-R-Y.com. And you'll see all 10 stories. Hello, hello. 
this is Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about politics, and where we bring you great content. I am your host, Nagin Farsad, and this week we're doing something a little bit different. And to help explain what we're doing, I'm joined by my friend and colleague and Fake the Nation regular and host of the Sporkful podcast on our sister network, Stitcher. You guys, it's Dan Pashman. Hi, Dan. Hey, Nagin. How's it going? Congratulations on the birth of your baby that happened while you were after recording this. <laughs> Probably. Yes. Unless she's still in there. We don't know. I just um, want to tell you that she is beautiful. She looks just <laughs> like you and or your husband. I can't, that's amazing. Um, thank you, Dan. It feels so heartfelt to hear you say that. Um, <laughs> so Dan, what we're going to do in this episode is we're going to actually air one of your episodes from the wonderful podcast, The Sporkful, which if people don't already uh, subscribe to the show, you should absolutely subscribe because it's wonderful. Um, tell me about this episode. So, yeah, so The Sporkful is a food podcast, but we like to say that it's not for foodies, it's for eaters. Um, and, like, you know, we, we sort of, we do a lot of storytelling, we get into a lot of different issues that I think are kind of the same issues you often talk about on Fake the Nation, issues of identity and politics and all these things. Um, so I thought, I, I, I had suggested this episode for you and for your show because I felt like it covered a lot of the themes that you're really interested in. And really, this is like, it's really an immigration story told through the lens of food. It's about a chef named Yowande Komalafa, who's based in Brooklyn, but she's originally from Nigeria. Uh, I don't want to give away too much of the story, but I'll just say that she came to the U.S. 20 years ago on a student visa, uh, legally on a student visa, and then the school screwed up her paperwork and she was left undocumented uh, through no fault of her own and chose to stay and live as an undocumented immigrant. Um, and that affected her relationship with her identity, her, her identity as a Nigerian, her relationship with Nigerian food and the food that she was cooking in her work as a chef. And so it's sort of about that that journey that she went on. And, and well, I won't tell you how it ends, but it's good. It's so good. It's so beautiful. I'm so glad that you had this brilliant idea for us to play this episode. Um, so without further ado, let's uh, let's listen to that episode. This episode contains explicit language. I had this idea that you couldn't really cook Nigerian food here in the U.S. Why? Why, why did you think that? I don't know. I was 16. I had, like, no concept of, like, where food, like, in Nigeria, if we were having chicken, we were, like, grabbing it from the backyard and, like, killing it. If we were having eggs, like, it was because the chickens laid them. So there was this very direct relationship to the food that we ate. And here I only saw grocery stores, and the things that I saw at the grocery stores weren't like anything I had ever seen. This is Yuande Komalafa. She's a chef and recipe developer living in Brooklyn. She moved to the U.S. from Nigeria when she was 16 to go to college. She came on a student visa, but then, through no fault of her own, she lost her immigration status. In an instant, she became an illegal immigrant. It was an honest mistake, but it was also a mistake that really severely affected my life. Yuande chose to stay here and work to become a chef undocumented. But that meant she couldn't go home, because if she left the U.S., she wouldn't be able to get back in. Now, she hasn't been back to Nigeria in 20 years. And in order to stay in the country, she's had to keep part of who she is secret. It made it harder to talk about being Nigerian, and it made it harder to share, like, my being Nigerian. Even cooking Nigerian food felt risky. 
Today on The Sporkful, Yuande sets out to answer some big questions. When you have to hide part of who you are, how do you connect with the taste of home? And what happens when it starts to feel like you've been gone so long, maybe it's not home anymore? Stick around. This is The Sporkful. It's not for foodies, it's for eaters. I'm Dan Pashman. Each week on our show, we obsess about food to learn more about people. As I said, Yuande Komalafa is a chef. She's worked in high-end restaurants in Baltimore, Atlanta, and New York. And she develops recipes for cookbooks and magazines, including the New York Times and Bon Appetit. She's the kind of person in the food world who doesn't always get her name splashed across the cover. But when you make one of those recipes and it works... It's often Yuande or someone like her who tested and refined that recipe to make sure it would work. It's a job that requires a ton of organization and precision. Before we get to Yuande's immigration story, let's begin at the beginning. She was born in Germany to Nigerian parents. They moved back to Nigeria when she was very little, so she grew up in Lagos, the country's biggest city. Looking back on her life in Nigeria, a career in food seems almost inevitable. After all, it runs in her family. My mom's a food scientist, so I remember, like, growing up in test kitchens with her, testing recipes and, like, using us as her little taste testers. Um, I remember being surrounded by, like, candy all the time because my mom worked for a chocolate company, and I just thought that that's how kids grew up, up. (laughs) (laughs) like, surrounded by candy all the time. Um, I remember making scones with my mom every Christmas morning. My dad would always make this, like, really big pot of fish stew, and that was, like, his thing. It's like, I'm making fish stew. Um, (laughs) My grandmother would cook and, like, have the whole family over, including my extended family. She had, like, a big outdoor kitchen. There were stories. I never met my dad's mom. But there were stories of her running a restaurant in her little village. Um, So, yeah, like, women in my family always cooked. And I remember being really interested in food and thinking that I was also going to be a food scientist. And so when I signed up for college, I signed up to be a biochem major, um, but really hated chemistry. (laughs) (laughs) And then um, decided to go to culinary arts school after, after college. So you started going down the road of food scientists, but you were sort of like, uh, do you have anything with like less science and <laughs> yeah, more eating? and like more eating right. or more, you know, like more like cooler looking, you right. know, more creative in right. that way. And so do you like when you're working in the kitchen testing recipes, do you call your mom? You guys compare notes? We do. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's actually one of our favorite things to do. Um, it's a way that we bond now through talking about food. Because I haven't been back to Nigeria in a really long time, a lot of our conversations sometimes surround me trying to pull from memory, like encountering a food or a spice or a seasoning here and saying, I remember this from Nigeria. It tastes like this. Like, what is it called? As I said, Yuande came to the U.S. from Nigeria when she was 16 to attend the University of Maryland. She came legally on a student visa. After she graduated, she enrolled at the Baltimore International College of Culinary Studies. New school means new student visa. But two years after starting there, there was a problem. The administrator was not experienced with dealing with international students. Like, you know, it was a small school in Baltimore, Maryland. And so she deleted my account for whatever reason. And that's how I lost my documentation here. 
Wait, so so you were here legally. You I were was, a yeah. student. You had all the you had the student visa, mm-hmm. and some person just like in a bursar's office. In a in a bur- yeah in a bur- like hit delete. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. What was it like when you figured out that that had happened? It, I, huh? What was it like? Gosh, shock. I realized that I was dealing with someone who had no concept of what she had just done. I realized how, like, my entire life depended on, like, pressing a button. And would you talk to this person about it? Like, Oh, man, I I did. I remember going into the office, and, I mean, I I don't yell a lot. (laughs) But I remember, like, screaming at her and, like, losing my shit at her. Um, But there was still no recognition or acknowledgement of what she had done. And so it was up to me to to get reinstated. And I, I didn't get reinstated. Like, I applied, went through the whole process, and then waited about a year to hear back. Um, from them, but I I didn't get reinstated. We tried to confirm Yuande's story with that culinary school in Baltimore or get a comment from them, but the school no longer exists. We reached out to an immigration attorney who said it's hard to tell how common this is, but yes, it does happen. A student visa is really an arrangement between the government and the school. If the school screws up its paperwork, it can look to the government like you shouldn't be here. This attorney told me a story about one client, we'll call him Rajiv, that illustrates what can go wrong. Rajiv came to the U.S. to work at a school, which requires a work visa. But there are different kinds of work visas. Rajiv's school filed him under OPT, Optional Practical Training. Problem is, Rajiv was married to an American, and OPT is not for people who intend to stay in the U.S. He needed an H-1B visa. Fortunately, this lawyer caught the mistake, Rajiv took it up with the school, and eventually he got his status changed to what it was supposed to be. But if that error hadn't been caught, then when he went to get his green card months or even years later, the fact that he worked in the U.S. with the wrong status could have been enough to get his green card denied. One person's paperwork mistake could have set Rajiv's whole life on a different course. Like Yuande said, the touch of a button. At big universities, they have entire departments with multiple staffers whose whole job is to handle student visas. But at this place where Yuande went, they had one person who didn't really know what she was doing. As far as we know, that woman never faced any repercussions. And clearly the school had a lot of issues. In 2011, it lost its accreditation. They messed up Yuande's visa, and she essentially fell into a bureaucratic abyss that she couldn't crawl out of. So you stayed here and you were left undocumented. Yes. So I, I decided to stay um, because at that time, I felt like going back to Nigeria was not really the option that I wanted to pursue. I had all my legal documents because I came here legally. I was still able to work because I had a social security number and I, I had a driver's license. I was still able to sort of be legal here, but I just couldn't leave the country. And if if I left the country, it meant that I wouldn't come back at all. Yuande felt like she had come to America to pursue her dream of a career in food, and she wasn't ready to give that up. 
So she threw herself into her work. She spent long hours in high-end kitchens, cooking mostly French and American dishes. I took a huge break from Nigerian food, and I wasn't really interested in cooking. I really was eager to learn about the food of the country that I was living in and get exposed to other cuisines. Meanwhile, Yuande was navigating life in America as an illegal immigrant. It made it harder to talk about being Nigerian, and it made it harder to share, like, my being Nigerian. So to move ahead in her career, Yuande ended up cooking less Nigerian food. To stay in the country, she had to talk less about where she came from. In other words, without even fully realizing it, she had to act less Nigerian. She went on like this for more than 10 years. Her parents were able to come here to visit, and her brother moved here, but she couldn't go there. Finally, it caught up with her. I couldn't go back to Nigeria for so long. And the one thing that I knew I had was food. And so exploring Nigeria and exploring my memory of it, the the safest place for me to go was food. Yuande decided to try to recreate some part of Nigeria in her kitchen. So she started gathering the staples. Now, traditionally, a lot of Nigerian dishes start with a base sauce of bell peppers, tomatoes, onions, and habanero chilies. There are also a lot of funky fermented flavors that come from fermented fish and fermented locust beans. That funk is a real hallmark of Nigerian cuisine. It's the kind of thing that, if you're not accustomed to it, it can take some getting used to. But if you grew up with it, you can't live without it. Yuande made cassava. It's also known as yuca. It's a starchy root vegetable, somewhat similar to a potato. She also cooked lentils, plantains, and papaya. It was a very private thing. I think a lot of it had to do with, like, the fear and anxiety surrounding not being able to go back. And so when I did cook Nigerian food, it was always at home and, like, the privacy of my own kitchen. And if anybody was coming over, like, that's what they were going to have. But it wasn't really something that I wanted to cook at a restaurant or wanted to share with, like, the larger world. Around the same time that Yuande was reconnecting with her Nigerianness, she was reminded of just how dangerous that could be for her. I should say Yuande is black, and she started dating a white guy, an American. One time we were in Marfa, driving through Marfa. In Texas. In Texas. And we got stopped by an immigration officer because it's really close to the border. And I was like, this is it. My life is over. And Mark's just like, don't say anything. Like, let me handle it. To me, like, law enforcement is like, speak only when you're spoken to. Like, don't make jokes with them. But when Mark relates to them, it's just like, oh, yeah, it's that guy. And, you know, the officer comes and he's like, what are you guys doing here? Mark's like, we're just driving to this ranch. Our friend owns a ranch right there on the border. And he's like, oh, yeah, I know that ranch. And they start talking about this place. And, like, the whole time I'm just, like, sunglasses on. Like, don't even look at him. Don't say anything. And he let us go. While Yuande was dealing with incidents like that in the outside world, she was still cooking Nigerian food for friends at home. But she thought of those dishes as totally separate from the fine dining food she was making at work. Then she realized she could use her training and experience in these high-end kitchens to shape her idea of Nigerian food. At home, in her kitchen, she began experimenting. She turned fufu, a traditional pounded yam dish that's eaten with Nigerian stews, into a dish like polenta, cooked with chicken broth, milk, and parmesan. 
She served cassava as a salad topped with lime and cilantro. Then she and Mark went on another road trip. We had driven to Vermont that summer and came back with like two frozen goat legs. Like you do. <laughs> As you do when you're in Vermont. Yeah, nat- natch. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and so my mom came and I'm like, we should just have a big dinner where um, I cook with my mom and like, you know, share, share. Goat is like one of my favorite meats to, to eat. And so my mom seasoned the goat and she, you know, put all her spices on it and, you know, let it marinate. And it also happened to be right around the time of the election. And I really wanted to to be more vocal about being an immigrant just because of the way the administration paints the picture of immigrants. Like, I'm one of those people. And so I really felt the need to speak up. It almost sounds like a superhero origin story. Follow me here. Yuande has this superpower, but she has to keep it to herself. Then she starts sharing it in private, and she gets better, grows more powerful. Finally, when the world needs her most, she decides she's not going to keep her Nigerian cooking and her identity secret any longer. She steps into a phone booth and comes out ready to fight for truth, justice, and the American way, which in this case means hosting 60 people for dinner in her and Mark's loft apartment and talking openly about her experience as an immigrant. But whenever a superhero goes public with their powers, there's always a question. Will they be accepted? What will people think? Well, that dinner was a huge success. It became a regular event. Now, every month or so, Yuande hosts a dinner open to the public where she shares her food and her story. She calls it My Immigrant Food Is. Most of the people who come aren't familiar with Nigerian food, so she does make certain accommodations. If it was up to me, I would, like, explode people's palates. But I I also don't—I want them to enjoy the food, and it's hard to enjoy it if it's too hot. Right. Um, And and so, like, the way I deal with that is, like, if I add heat, then add something like mint to be refreshing and to cool, you know, so—or serve something with, like, coconut milk at the end of the course so it's, like, cooling— and I, I like that game that I play with, like, exploring ingredients and, like, trying to push them to whatever limit that I, I, I see fit. And <clears throat> I think that my my approach to Nigerian food is also my approach to being Nigerian. I was born in Berlin. I lived in Nigeria. You know, we moved back to Nigeria speaking German. I think that the question of how Nigerian I am has always been a part of my story, like having to prove how Nigerian I was. And so I, th- I think I approach Nigerian food in the same way that, like, I'm I'm going to cook it, I'm going to cook it the way that's telling of my experience, and it's going to be Nigerian. Yuande says hosting that first dinner changed everything. It felt freeing. Um, it felt like I didn't have to avoid questions. Because what's also interesting is that I don't know that people know about the immigration process here. It's sort of like, oh, this person moved here and they're now living the American dream. And, you know, I'm I'm always like, well, what was their process like? You know, like how many years did it take for like their paperwork to be legal? Or, you know, like none of that gets told. And well, I'm sure it's probably... 
there's a certain irony in the fact that that I think in some ways immigrants know more about America than Americans do. Yeah. Yes, over the years, Yuande has become a real expert in our immigration laws in particular. Two years ago, she and Mark got married. But that does not make a green card automatic. It's still a long, hard process. You have to provide tons of documents to show that your marriage is real. A joint lease, shared bank account, shared utility bills, holiday cards addressed to both of you, photos of you with your spouse and your families. And it's expensive. There are single forms that cost $500 or $1,000 just to file, plus legal fees. Yuande says it took more than a year and cost about $5,000 total. But last fall, it happened. She got her green card. Is it actually a card? It's actually, it's like plastic. <laughs> <laughs> don't leave it I in your, don't don't it in your pants expecting. when you wash your pants. <laughs> Can you imagine? It's like, <laughs> it's, like, it's like this like plastic green card. I that, it at least come like, in a, does it come in a nice like, box? No. <laughs> it came in a thing that said, welcome to America. <laughs> I'm like, I've been in America, you asshole. <laughs> you know, like, like, welcome to America. Like, okay, yeah, whatever. <laughs> but, you know, so I'm processing what it means that I now have this thing that says I could be here. Yes, Yuande can be here. But she's not out of the woods. The green card you get when you marry an American is conditional, subject to review. Even if you pass that review, there are no guarantees. I spoke with Alejandra Molina. She's a reporter who covers immigration. She says green card holders have never been fully shielded from deportation. And in this political climate, many of them are now realizing that their permanent resident status may not be enough. The Trump administration has worked to find more ways to deport people through policy changes and executive orders. People who, in the past, would have been safe. In my own reporting for this episode, I learned of one green card holder who recently went to Canada for a work trip. When he tried to return to the U.S., which he's supposed to be able to do, he was detained and interrogated for six hours. Immigration officials took away his green card, even though he was not charged with any crime. Fortunately, he can afford an attorney who's fighting this for him. The lawyer says he should get the green card back in a couple months. Still, it's been scary. For Yuande, clearly having a green card is better than not having one. But it hasn't felt the way she expected. What's surprising to me on the flip side of, of getting my green card is that the behaviors of like anxiety and fear don't immediately exit. You know, I still think that like if I'm in an airport, there's a chance that I could get picked up. You know, like that that thought takes a while to dissipate. And it takes a while to like understand that like I'm allowed to be here. And now you have a green card. Mm -hmm. You can come and go. Mm -hmm. Where are you going to go? Nigeria. Coming up, Yuande's trip back. Stick around.
Oh, hey guys, it's Nagin again. Uh, we're going to take a quick break from the episode to tell you about the sponsors we have lined up this week. Support for today's show comes from Care Of. Care Of is a monthly subscription vitamin service that delivers completely personalized vitamin and supplement packs right to your door. Just take Care Of's fun online quiz, which asks you about your diet, your health goals, and lifestyle choices, and find out in five minutes what vitamins and supplements you specifically need. Then your vitamins will get delivered right to your door in personalized, easy-to-remember daily packets, perfect for a busy, on-the-go lifestyle. Vegan and vegetarian supplement options are also available to match your dietary needs, and your monthly subscription box can be easily modified at any time. I took their quiz, which was weirdly fun because it made me think about like actually what are my goals you know is it my eyeballs my brain what is my skin like what do I what do I want to fix here they, they do come in personalized packets with your name on them what they don't mention in the ad is that uh, they also have like little like fun facts or like inspirational quotes and for some reason I love those I live for those every morning I've been doing uh, prenatals and probiotics and uh, that's worked out really well for me and I'm excited to move into a new phase where I'm gonna make my skin glow, you guys. That's the next, uh, that's going to be the next goal for me. So for 25% off your first month of personalized care of vitamins, visit takecareof.com and enter fake. Uh, that's takecareof.com, promo code fake. You get 25% off your first month of personalized care of vitamins. Let HelloFresh take the guesswork out of meals week after week. With three plans to choose from, classic veggie and family, HelloFresh's meal kits make dinner easy. No more having to plan dinner, spend money on takeout, or worry about gathering ingredients week after week. Get that time back to do more of what you love. Because HelloFresh's easy-to-follow recipes and pre-measured, responsibly obtained ingredients are all delivered right to your door in recyclable, insulated packaging, all for less than $10 per serving with free shipping. I know it sounds like a lot of great things in one service. It is. I totally like love getting this service because it makes me feel like you don't have to deal with all the ingredients buying, which I feel like is a big hurdle in cooking. It also has a really a beautiful, easy to follow recipe that you just put everything together. It makes you kind of feel like a little Martha Stewart at home, which I never feel like. I feel very inadequate and awkward in the kitchen. HelloFresh takes that feeling away from me. It's easy to manage. You can choose your delivery date to match your ever-changing schedule and even pause deliveries for when you're on vacation. And you're not going to spend all night in the kitchen because the recipes take like 30 minutes, basically. And for a total of $60 off, that's $20 off your first three boxes, visit HelloFresh.com slash fake 60 and enter code FAKE60. It's like receiving six meals for free when you go to HelloFresh.com slash FAKE60 and enter the code FAKE60. And let's get back to the episode. A couple months ago, Yawande spent two and a half weeks in Nigeria with her family and her husband, Mark. They flew to Lagos, Nigeria's biggest city, where her family lives. I caught up with her a few weeks after she got back to New York. What was really weird to me was that I got on a plane and I was, that was taking me out of the U.S. And it wasn't eventful, it wasn't dramatic, and it was kind of disappointing. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't know what I imagined, but like, I, I wanted it to, like, is that how people do it? They just get on a plane and go to like 
another country? Is that what happens? And you are, uh, you made it back. I did. I made it back. I was let back into the country, which was kind of awesome. I'm still kind of wrapping my head around it, that like a little plastic green card was enough to let me back in. <laughs> you know? Well, describe that moment to me coming coming through through uh, customs. We got global entry because I was kind of skittish and I just didn't want to really... That's like TSA pre-check, but for yeah, international. for like international right. travel. So, the, the, I mean, I had to interact with a machine, which for me was a lot easier than talking to a customs officer about why I was coming back or whatever question. I don't know what questions they ask when you come back in the country, but... I have was... this image of, of you going up to, to a guy and him being like, what was the purpose of your visit overseas? And then it's like three hours I later, know. you want to still <laughs> I'm like, really? Do you, do you want me to get into that? <laughs> you <know? laughs> like, you have no idea. <laughs> so Yuande and her husband, Mark, were able to get in and out of America without an issue. But something interesting did happen when they landed in Lagos. Remember the story of the immigration officer in Texas who pulled them over? Yuande talked about how, in the U.S., Mark's able to relate much more easily to law enforcement. But when they arrived in Nigeria and tried to leave the airport, Yuande found that that power dynamic in their relationship had flipped. I'm not even sure what a f- like what office the guy held, but he was like, you don't have this yellow card. He was talking to Mark. And I looked at the guy and I was like, you know what? Like, this is my first time back in 20 years. So, like, you better bring a fucking band and, like, stop stop asking us for, like, this stupid yellow card, you know? And finally, it was like, okay, fine. Like, we'll give you $10 and, like, let us go. And he's like, okay, fine. But, like, in that situation, if it was here, like, I would not have said a word. So they got out of the airport, met up with Yuande's parents, all good. Then... They went out to eat. This would be Yawande's first bite of Nigerian food in Nigeria in more than 20 years. There was a dish called nkobi. It's a cow foot that's like cooked until like the, the tendons are really soft and then it's pulled off the bone and tossed with like a palm oil and like shrimp and locust bean, just like very intense flavors. And it makes a kind of sauce or to coat it. And then like, you know, the, the color is also just like bright orange when it comes to the, the table. And I like tasting that dish just felt like, oh, wow, like I'm in Lagos, you know, like I'm here. Yuande had been away for so long. Her memory of the flavors had faded, taken on a sepia tone. Now she was experiencing those tastes in vivid hues. Like when Dorothy lands in Oz and everything goes from black and white to technicolor. Everything was so spicy. I think I forgot how spicy Nigerian food is. And everything was so flavorful. It was salty and it was like a lot of fermented flavors and a lot of sour flavors. Everything was served with a chili oil. Like, I feel like I had been searching for that spice all my life. (laughs) Before this trip, Yuande talked about trying to balance the spice in her Nigerian cooking, using mint or coconut milk. She says now... I suddenly think of, like, my Nigerian cooking as too subtle. I mean, gosh, the the flavors that I tasted there were just, like, everything hit my palate. 
if it was spice, it was fermented, it was smoked, it, you know, just everything was intense. Now in thinking of Nigerian cooking, I want to add that intensity to it. Like, I, I want to hit people's palates the way my palate was hit in Nigeria, because, like, to me, like, that's Nigerian cooking. How will this trip change your dinners? I made a chili oil when I got back, and I made it with, like, I got fermented locust bean, ginger, garlic, and the chilies. Um, and I have a huge, like, mason jar of it in my fridge. And I'm going to serve that alongside every course. I think also, like, another element that I really enjoyed was, like, the passing around of food and, like, the sharing of food and not necessarily having plated food. But I love, like, large platters of food and you get to, like, pass them around. Because I think it also just encourages conversation and, like, it eases people up. It's like you can't really say no to, like, a plate of, like, millet salad that's coming your way. You know, you can, but I say don't say no to that. <laughs> you know? Yuande will judge you is what she's saying. Totally. I can see you from the kitchen. <laughs> After talking about all that amazing Nigerian food, I really wanted to go to Yuande's next dinner. But it was the night of my daughter's birthday. So our friend Rachel Bongiorno went instead. Yuande estimates that only about 10% of the people who come to her dinners have a lot of familiarity with Nigerian food. So the big question was... How would people react to Yuande's new, more intense flavors? Yuande and Mark welcomed everyone. So uh, there's a there's no seating arrangements. Yeah, so feel free to seat yourselves. Um, there's a Hungarian rosé that a friend of ours imports. Uh, do you guys want to talk about the soup? The soup is a mango consomme and some mango and habanero chilies with habanero chilies and everything. <laughs> The crackers are a calabash nutmeg, which I thought was a pretty interesting spice. It's not. In case you couldn't hear Yuande describing that first course, it was a mango soup with habanero chilies served with calabash nutmeg crackers. She says calabash nutmeg is a smokier, milder type of nutmeg. After that, there was whole roasted fish with yaji spice relish. Yaji is a ground spice blend used to season suya, which is basically Nigerian barbecue. Then there was pea shoots with braised beef cheeks and fermented cassava cake. And for dessert, roasted pineapple and Selim pepper ice cream. Selim pepper is a type of black pepper found in parts of Africa. After the meal, Rachel talked with the diners, and pretty much everyone said the same thing. The food was really spicy. And that's what they loved about it. It was unexpected because you didn't necessarily taste the spice initially. It was a few seconds later, and it, it really brought the dishes together. I mean, I'm a professional chef and I've been in the industry for 20 years and I still was kind of like, yeah, cassavas, like I, yeah, stews, right? Dried fish. Like, I don't, I don't really know. Like, it's a part of the world that I don't really know deeply. The flavors of Yoande's food have definitely become bolder since she came back from Nigeria, which I love. It was amazing before, but it's just so much more now since she got back and I'm super excited about it. I feel like I've been floating for about 10 years. And I think I, I was hoping to feel more grounded and to like understand both where I come from and myself. I, I, I needed something about being Nigerian to feel real. And food was my approach. So is it fair to say that this trip made you feel more Nigerian? 
It made me feel like I am Nigerian. You know, like it sort of quieted those questions that I had about my identity. And it made me feel like no matter how long I spend away from it or no matter how far away I am from Lagos, like, I, that it's mine. That's Yuande Komalafa. Learn more about her monthly dinner series, My Immigrant Food Is, on her website, yuandekomalafa.com. We'll also link to it at sporkful.com. And I gotta add, at that dinner, Yuande suggested that she may have a cookbook in the works. So I'm probably not the first person to say, yes, please, because that chili oil with the fermented locust beans and the garlic and the ginger, we need that recipe. We need it stat. Also, pineapple pepper ice cream, Oh my God, Yuande, please make it happen. This show is produced by Ann Sandy and me. No, not Ann Sandy and me. I got a tweet. Someone said, how come you never say Ann or Sandy's last name? This person thought I was saying this show is produced by Ann Sandy and me. But no, I'm saying this show is produced by Ann Sandy and me. Her name is Ann Sandy. She makes the show happen. Her nickname is Ann Sanity because she's so wild and crazy. Got it? Aviva DeKornfeld is our assistant producer. Rob McGinley-Myers is our editor. Our show is mixed by the Reverend John Delore. I always wanted to say that. All the Cool Kids podcasts were always mixed by the Reverend John Delore. And I was like, who is this guy? He must be the best mixer there is. And now he's mixing the Sporkful. Doesn't my voice sound so much better? Additional production by Rachel Bongiorno. Music help from Black Label Music. Until next time, I'm Dan Pashman. And I'm Jason Carver from Albany, Georgia. Reminding you to eat more eat better, and eat more better. Okay, you guys, that was the episode. Uh, Dan, thank you so much for making that. It was so lovely. Do you have a recommendation for like another episode if people wanted to follow it up with something else? Yeah, sure. If you want to check out the Sporkful feed, it's wherever you get Fake the Nation. You can get the Sporkful. And uh, we did an episode in December called A Brief History of American Barbecue. Uh, it features culinary historian Michael Twitty, who wrote this extraordinary book where he he traces his own DNA and also sort of the DNA of Southern cuisine all the way back to Africa and shows how so many of the foods that we think of as being classic Southern foods, including barbecue, uh, have actually been informed by African and indigenous traditions. And, um, and I actually follow that the route of barbecue all the way up to Chicago. And I went to Chicago to learn about this, this very specific type of barbecue that's only in Chicago, only on the south side, which is the predominantly black area of the city, and to explore, like, what is this lesser-known type of barbecue? Why doesn't it get more attention? And uh, I learned a ton making that episode, so I think I hope folks will like that one. I'm just, I'm getting hungry for barbecue, even just hearing about it. Yeah. Uh, so thank you so much, Dan. Definitely subscribe to The Sporkful. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. I also want to thank the production team here at Fake the Nation. That's our producer, Harry Nelson, our audio engineer, Jared O'Connell. Gabby Alter wrote our theme music, and Lily Fleshler helps out with research. And listeners, we would love to hear from you. Send us our, your feedback, topics we should be chatting about, guest ideas. You can leave us a voicemail at 347-770-4981 or drop us a line at comments at fakethenation.com. And if you like what you hear, please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts because it helps people find the show. And that is for real. We'll be back next year, next week, uh, with a new episode. 
Cool, you just made a whole episode of Fake the Nation again. <laughs> In like under five minutes, how <laughs> wonderful is that? I know. If we could figure out how to just replicate this model, our lives would be so great. <laughs> so easy, so easy. <laughs> what, but maybe I'll just only air episodes of Fake the Nation and you only air episodes oh, of Sporkful. <laughs> Wait, no, that doesn't work. No. <laughs> is that, yeah, at some point I'll then be making episodes of the Sporkful. Right, and I'll be making a Fake, fake the Nation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what your life would be like if you took a different path? Like, are you doing today what you envisioned you would be doing 10 years ago? This holiday season, GH Mum Champagne has partnered with Vice to bring you some personal stories of courage, belief in your dreams, and the determination to make those dreams a reality. So pop open a bottle of GH Mum Grand Cordon, get inspired, and celebrate your next victory. Visit ghmumvictory.com. That's G-H-M-U-M-M-V-I-C-T-O-R-Y.com. And you'll get to see all 10 stories.